You're listening to KZOM, Oleander Public Radio. Greetings, listeners. It is I, TV Spitzer and Farmer Dave, here once again to talk to you about the Cthulhu mythos, its books, its monsters, its unfortunate human casualties, its timeline in general, and even its tangential bits, like the dreamlands or things of a weird nature that are Lovecraftian leanings. Once more we head into those dark woods, further feeling those malevolent forces upon us. Once again we walk down the lightless stone staircase in the middle of nowhere. You're listening to KZOM. Hey everyone, it is a book club episode. This book club episode is brought to you by Golden Goat CBD, Curve Girl Plus Size Clothing. As always, check the show notes for links on how to get deals and free shipping on some things. All right. This episode is brought to you by California Tea House. California Tea House is a family-owned tea store where you can find some of the world's best loose-leaf tea and organic herbal tea blends. Like a fine wine, there is no comparison between fine loose leaf and common broken leaf tea bags. So, yeah, no, check them out. Check them out. They have quite a bit of pretty awesome tea collections. I'm a huge fan of their white teas. Uh, They have a tea club that you can join, but, you know, they've got green tea, black tea, white tea, oolong, that uh, robios and herbal tea. They've also got teaware. So check out California Tea House in the show notes. This episode is brought to you by Donner. Check out the show notes to find a good deal at Donner. Like the sound of this? This is the Donner Island Delay. And the really cool Donner LP that I've shown off on, like, Instagram. Check it out. I've got some really good summer deals. And check out their snap deals as well. Use the link in the show notes to help support the show. Get yourself some cool musical instruments. Maybe some patch chords. Cool. A study in Scarlet by Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, Chapter 3, The Lauriston Garden Mystery. I confess that I was considerably startled by this fresh proof of the practical nature of my companion's theories. My respect for his powers of analysis increased wondrously. There still remained some lurking suspicion in my mind, however, that the whole thing was a prearranged episode intended to dazzle me though what earthly object he could have in taking me in was past my comprehension. When I looked at him, he had finished reading the note, and his eyes had assumed the vacant, lacklustre expression which showed mental abstraction. "'How in the world did you deduce that?' I asked. "'Deduce what?' said he petulantly. "'Why, that he was a retired sergeant of marines.' "'I have no time for trifles,' he answered brusquely, then with a smile— excuse my rudeness you broke the thread of my thoughts but perhaps it is as well so you actually were not able to see that the man was a sergeant of marines no indeed it was easier to know it than to explain why i knew it if you were asked to prove that two and two made four you might find some difficulty and yet you are quite sure of the fact even across the street i could see a great blue anchor tattooed on the back of the fellow's hand that smacked of the sea He had a military carriage, however, and regulation side-whiskers. There we have the Marine. He was a man with some amount of self-importance and a certain air of command. 
you must have observed the way in which he held his head and swung his cane a steady respectable middle-aged man too on the face of him all facts which led me to believe that he had been a sergeant wonderful i ejaculated commonplace said holmes though i thought from his expression that he was pleased at my evident surprise and admiration i said just now that there were no criminals it appears that i am wrong look at this he threw me over the note which the commissionaire had brought why i cried as i cast my eye over it this is terrible it does seem to be a little out of the common he remarked calmly would you mind reading it to me aloud this is the letter which i read to him dear mr sherlock holmes there has been a bad business during the night at three loriston gardens off the brixton road our man on the beat saw a light there about two in the morning and as the house was an empty one suspected that something was amiss he found the door open and in the front room which is bare of furniture discovered the body of a gentleman well dressed and having cards in his pocket bearing the name of enoch j drebber cleveland ohio usa there had been no robbery nor is there any evidence as to how the man met his death there are marks of blood in the room but there is no wound upon his person we are at a loss as to how he came into the empty house indeed the whole affair is a puzzler if you can come round to the house any time before twelve you will find me there i have left everything in statu quo until i hear from you if you are unable to come i shall give you fuller details and would esteem it a great kindness if you would favour me with your opinion yours faithfully tobias gregson gregson is the smartest of the scotland yarders my friend remarked he and lestrade are the pick of a bad lot they are both quick and energetic but conventional shockingly so they have their knives into one another too they are as jealous as a pair of professional beauties there will be some fun over this case if they are both put upon the scent i was amazed at the calm way in which he rippled on surely there's not a moment to be lost i cried shall i go and order your cab i'm not sure about whether i shall go i am the most incurably lazy devil that ever stood in shoe leather that is when the fit is on me for i can be spry enough at times why it is just such a chance as you've been longing for my dear fellow what does it matter to me supposing i unravel the whole matter you may be sure that gregson lestrade and co will pocket all the credit that comes of being an unofficial personage but he begs you to help him yes he knows that i am his superior and acknowledges it to me but he would cut his tongue out before he would own it to any third person however we may as well go and have a look i shall work it out on my own hook i may have a laugh at them if i have nothing else come on he hustled on his overcoat and bustled about in a way that showed that an energetic fit had superseded the apathetic one get your hat he said you wish me to come yes if you have nothing better to do a minute later we were both in a hansom driving furiously for the brixton road it was a foggy cloudy morning and a dun-coloured veil hung over the housetops looking like the reflection of the mud-coloured streets beneath my companion was in the best of spirits and prattled away about cremona fiddles and the difference between a stradivarius and an amati as for myself i was silent 
for the dull weather and the melancholy business upon which we were engaged depressed my spirits you don't seem to give much thought to the matter in hand i said at last interrupting holmes musical disquisition no data yet he answered it is a capital mistake to theorize before you have all the evidence it biases the judgment you will have your data soon i remarked pointing with my finger this is the brixton road and that is the house if i'm not very much mistaken so it is stop driver stop we were still a hundred yards or so from it but he insisted upon our alighting and we finished our journey upon foot number three lauriston gardens wore an ill-omened and minatory look it was on a four which stood back some little way from the street two being occupied and two empty the latter looked out with three tiers of vacant melancholy windows which were blank and dreary save that here and there a toilette card had developed like a cataract upon the bleared panes a small garden sprinkled over with a scattered eruption of sickly plants separated each of these houses from the street and was traversed by a narrow pathway yellowish in color and consisting apparently of a mixture of clay and of gravel the whole place was very sloppy from the rain which had fallen through the night the garden was bounded by a three-foot brick wall with a fringe of wood rails upon the top and against this wall was leaning a stalwart police constable surrounded by a small knot of loafers who craned their necks and strained their eyes in the vain hope of catching some glimpse of the proceedings within i had imagined that sherlock holmes would at once have hurried into the house and plunged into a study of the mystery nothing appeared to be further from his intention with an air of nonchalance which under the circumstances seems to me to border upon affectation he lounged up and down the pavement and gazed vacantly at the ground the sky the opposite houses and the line of railings having finished his scrutiny he proceeded slowly down the path or rather down the fringe of grass which flanked the path keeping his eyes riveted upon the ground twice he stopped and once i saw him smile and heard him utter an exclamation of satisfaction there were many marks of footsteps upon the wet clayey soil but since the police had been coming and going over it i was unable to see how my companion could hope to learn anything from it still i had had such extraordinary evidence of the quickness of his perceptive faculties that i had no doubt that he could see a great deal which was hidden from me at the door of the house we were met by a tall white-faced flaxen-haired man with notebook in his hand who rushed forward and wrung my companion's hand with effusion it is indeed kind of you to come he said i've had everything left untouched except that my friend answered pointing at the pathway if a herd of buffaloes had passed along there could not be a greater mess no doubt however you had drawn your own conclusions gregson before you permitted this i've had so much to do inside the house the detective said evasively my colleague mr lestrade is here i had relied upon him to look after this holmes glanced at me and raised his eyebrows sardonically with two such men as yourself and lestrade upon the ground there will not be much for a third party to find out he said gregson rubbed his hands in a self-satisfied way i think we've done all that can be done he answered it's a queer case though and i knew your taste for such things 
"'You did not come here in a cab?' asked Sherlock Holmes. "'No, sir.' "'Nor Lestrade?' "'No, sir.' "'Then let us go and look at the room.' With which inconsequent remark he strode on into the house, followed by Gregson, whose features expressed his astonishment. A short passage, bare-planked and dusty, led to the kitchen and offices. Two doors opened out of it to the left and to the right. One of these had obviously been closed for many weeks. The other belonged to the dining-room, which was the apartment in which the mysterious affair had occurred. Holmes walked in, and I followed him, with that subdued feeling at my heart which the presence of death inspires. It was a large square room, looking all the larger from the absence of all furniture. A vulgar flaring paper adorned the walls, but it was blotched in places with mildew, and here and there great strips had become detached and hung down, exposing the yellow plaster underneath. Opposite the door was a showy fireplace, surmounted by a mantelpiece of imitation white marble. On one corner of this was stuck the stump of a red wax candle. The solitary window was so dirty that the light was hazy and uncertain, giving a dull grey tinge to everything which was intensified by the thick layer of dust which coated the whole apartment. All these details I observed afterwards. At present my attention was centred upon the single, grim, motionless figure which lay stretched upon the boards, with vacant, sightless eyes staring up at the discoloured ceiling. It was that of a man about forty-three or forty-four years of age, middle-sized, broad-shouldered, with crisp curling black hair, and a short stubbly beard. He was dressed in a heavy broadcloth frock-coat and waistcoat, with light-coloured trousers and immaculate collar and cuffs. A top hat, well brushed and trim, was placed upon the floor beside him. His hands were clenched, and his arms thrown abroad, while his lower limbs were interlocked, as though this death struggle had been a grievous one. On his rigid face there stood an expression of horror, and as it seemed to me, of hatred, such as I have never seen upon human features. This malignant and terrible contortion, combined with the low forehead, blunt nose, and prognathous jaw, gave the dead man a singularly simious and ape-like appearance, which was increased by his writhing, unnatural posture. I have seen death in many forms, but never has it appeared to me in a more fearsome aspect than in that dark, grimy apartment which looked out upon one of the main arteries of suburban London. Lestrade, lean and ferret-like as ever, was standing by the doorway and greeted my companion and myself. "'This case will make a stir, sir,' he remarked. "'It beats anything I've seen, and I'm no chicken.' "'There is no clue,' said Gregson. "'None at all,' chimed in Lestrade. Sherlock Holmes approached the body and, kneeling down, examined it intently. "'You are sure there is no wound?' he asked, pointing to numerous gouts and splashes of blood which lay all around. "'Positive!' cried both detectives. "'Then, of course, this blood belongs to a second individual—presumably the murderer. If murder has been committed—' It reminds me of the circumstances attendant on the death of Van Janssen in Utrecht in the year 34. Do you remember the case, Gregson? No, sir. Read it up. You really should. There is nothing new under the sun. It has all been done before. 
as he spoke his nimble fingers were flying here and there and everywhere feeling pressing unbuttoning examining while his eyes wore the same far-away expression which i have already remarked upon so swiftly was the examination made that one would hardly have guessed the minuteness with which it was conducted finally he sniffed the dead man's lips and then glanced at the soles of his patent leather boots he has not been moved at all he asked no more than was necessary for the purposes of our examination you can take him to the mortuary now he said there's nothing more to be learned gregson had a stretcher and four men at hand at his call they entered the room and the stranger was lifted and carried out as they raised him a ring tinkled down and rolled across the floor lestrade grabbed it up and stared at it with mystified eyes there's been a woman here he cried it's a woman's wedding ring he held it out as he spoke upon the palm of his hand we all gathered round and gazed at it there could be no doubt that the circlet of plain gold had once adorned the finger of a bride this complicates matters said gregson heaven knows they were complicated enough before you're sure it doesn't simplify them observed holmes there's nothing to be learned by staring at it what did you find in his pockets we have it all here said gregson pointing to a litter of objects upon one of the bottom steps of the stairs a gold watch number ninety seven one sixty three by barrow of london gold albert chain very heavy and solid gold ring with masonic device gold pin bulldog's head with rubies as eyes russian leather card case with cards of enoch j drebber of cleveland corresponding with the ejd upon the linen no purse but loose money to the extent of seven pounds thirteen pocket edition of boccaccio's decameron with name of joseph stangerson upon the flyleaf two letters one addressed to ej drebber and one to joseph stangerson at what address american exchange strand to be left till called for they're both from the guion steamship company and refer to the sailing of their boats from liverpool it is clear that this unfortunate man was about to return to new york have you made any inquiries as to this man stangerson i did it at once said gregson i've had the advertisement sent to all the newspapers and one of my men has gone to the american exchange but he hasn't returned yet have you sent to cleveland we telegraphed this morning how did you word your inquiries we simply detailed the circumstances and said that we should be glad of any information which could help us you did not ask for particulars on any point which appeared to you to be crucial i asked about stangerson nothing else is there no circumstance on which this whole case appears to hinge will you not telegraph again i've said all i have to say said gregson in an offended voice sherlock holmes chuckled to himself and appeared to be about to make some remark when lestrade who had been in the front room while we were holding this conversation in the hall reappeared upon the scene rubbing his hands in a pompous and self-satisfied manner mr gregson he said i've just made a discovery of the highest importance and one which would have been overlooked had it not been made a careful examination of the walls the little man's eyes sparkled as he spoke and he was evidently in a state of suppressed exultation at having scored a point against his colleague come here he said 
bustling back into the room the atmosphere of which felt clearer since the removal of its ghastly inmate now stand there he struck a match on his boot and held it up against the wall look at that he said triumphantly i have remarked that the paper had fallen away in parts in this particular corner of the room a large piece had peeled off leaving a yellow square of coarse plastering across this bare space there was scrawled in blood-red letters a single word r a c h e what do you think of that cried the detective with an air of a showman exhibiting his show this was overlooked because it was in the darkest corner of the room and no one thought of looking there the murderer has written it with his or her own blood see this smear where it was trickled down the wall that disposes of the idea of suicide anyway why was that corner chosen to write it on i'll tell you see that candle on the mantelpiece it was lit at the time and if it was lit this corner would be the brightest instead of the darkest portion of the wall and what does it mean now that you have found it asked gregson in a depreciatory voice mean why it means that the writer was going to put the female name rachel but was disturbed before he or she had time to finish you mark my words when this case comes to be cleared up you'll find that a woman named rachel has something to do with it it's all very well for you to laugh mr sherlock holmes you may be very smart and clever but the old hound is the best when all is said and done i really beg your pardon said my companion who had ruffled the little man's temper by bursting into an explosion of laughter you certainly have the credit of being the first of us to find this out and as you say it bears every mark of having been written by the other participant in last night's mystery i have not had time to examine this room yet but with your permission i shall do so now as he spoke he whipped a tape measure and a large round magnifying glass from his pocket with these two implements he trotted noiselessly about the room sometimes stopping occasionally kneeling and once lying flat upon his face so engrossed was he with his occupation that he appeared to have forgotten our presence for he chattered away to himself under his breath the whole time keeping up a running fire of exclamations groans whistles and little cries suggestive of encouragement and of hope as i watched him i was irresistibly reminded of a pure-blooded well-trained foxhound as it dashes backwards and forwards through the covert whining in its eagerness until it comes across the lost scent for twenty minutes or more he continued his researches measuring with the most exact care the distance between marks which were entirely invisible to me and occasionally applying his tape to the walls in an equally incomprehensible manner in one place he gathered up very carefully a little pile of grey dust from the floor and packed it away in an envelope finally he examined with his glass the word upon the wall going over every letter of it with the most minute exactness this done he appeared to be satisfied for he replaced his tape and his glass in his pocket they say that genius is an infinite capacity for taking pains he remarked with a smile it's a very bad definition but it does apply to detective work gregson and lestrade had watched the maneuvers of their amateur companion with considerable curiosity 
and some contempt they evidently failed to appreciate the fact which i had begun to realize that sherlock holmes smallest actions were all directed towards some definite and practical end what do you think of it sir they both asked it would be robbing you of the credit of the case if i was to presume to help you remarked my friend you are doing so well now that it would be a pity for anyone to interfere there was a world of sarcasm in his voice as he spoke if you will let me know how your investigations go he continued i shall be happy to give you any help i can in the meantime i should like to speak to the constable who found the body can you give me his name and address lestrade glanced at his notebook john rance he said he's off duty now you'll find him at forty six audley court kennington park gate holmes took a note of the address come along doctor he said we shall go and look him up i'll tell you one thing which may help you in the case he continued turning to the two detectives there has been murder done and the murderer was a man he was more than six feet high was in the prime of life had small feet for his height wore coarse square-toed boots and smoked a trichinopoly cigar he came here with his victim in a four-wheeled cab which was drawn by a horse with three old shoes and one new one on his off foreleg in all probability the murderer had a florid face and the fingernails of his right hand were remarkably long there are only a few indications but they may assist you lestrade and gregson glanced at each other with an incredulous smile if this man was murdered how was it done asked the former poison said sherlock holmes curtly and strode off one other thing lestrade he added turning around at the door rache is the german for revenge so don't lose your time looking for miss rachel with which parthian shot he walked away leaving the two rivals open-mouthed behind him end of chapter three Thank you once again for listening to People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos. You can help show your support by going to the show notes and following any of the links that'll tell you how to support the show, how to support our guests. And thank you to all of our guests who you can find in the show notes. Rate, review, subscribe. And remember, patrons get priority access to asking us questions, suggesting topics, even, I don't know, uh submitting stuff actually you don't have to be a patron to submit anything that's how dave got on the show and that's how you can get on the show too it's the people's guide to the cthulhu mythos rate review subscribe tell your friends thank you for listening back to the show hey everyone it's me db new sponsor on the show clary Glary offers a great price and better quality goods and services for music lovers. Are you looking for good prices, free shipping, 100% quality guarantee? Glary's got you covered. Guitars, bass guitars, mandolins, they've got saxophones, trumpets, drums, they've got guitar cases, amplifiers, all the stuff that you need without having to break the bank. Inexpensive doesn't have to mean cheap. Check out the show notes to find more about Glary. 20 watt amplifiers for under $50. Hard cases for your electric guitar for under 80. 
guitars themselves for under $90. Come on, folks, check out the show notes. Get a glary. You're listening to KZOM, Oleander Public Radio. Chapter 4. What John Rance Had to Tell It was one o'clock when we left number three, Lauriston Gardens. Sherlock Holmes led me to the nearest telegraph office, whence he dispatched a long telegram. He then hailed a cab, and ordered the driver to take us to the address given us by Lestrade. "'There's nothing like first-hand evidence,' he remarked. "'As a matter of fact, my mind is entirely made up upon the case, but still we may as well learn all that is to be learned.' "'You amaze me, Holmes,' said I. "'Surely you're not as sure as you pretend to be of all these particulars which you gave?' "'There's no room for a mistake,' he answered. "'The very first thing which I observed on arriving there "'was that a cab had made two ruts with its wheels close to the curb. "'Now, up to last night, we have had no rain for a week, "'so that those wheels which left such a deep impression "'must have been there during the night. "'There were the marks of the horse's hooves, "'the outline of one which was far more clearly cut "'than that of the other three, "'showing that there was a new shoe.' Since the cab was there after the rain began, and was not there at any time during the morning, I have Gregson's word for that, it follows that it must have been there during the night, and therefore that it brought those two individuals to the house. That seems simple enough, said I. But how about the other man's height? Why, the height of a man, in nine cases out of ten, can be told from the length of his stride. It is a simple calculation enough, though there is no use my boring you with figures. I had this fellow's stride, both on the clay outside and on the dust within. Then I had a way of checking my calculation. When a man writes on a wall, his instinct leads him to write about the level of his own eyes. Now that writing was just over six feet from the ground. It was child's play. "'And his age?' I asked. "'Well,' If a man can stride four and a half feet without the smallest effort, he can't be quite in the sear and yellow. That was the breadth of a puddle on the garden walk which he had evidently walked across. Patent leather boots had gone round, and square toes had hopped over. There is no mystery about it at all. I am simply applying to ordinary life a few of those precepts of observation and deduction which I advocated in that article. Is there anything else that puzzles you? "'The fingernails and the trichinopoly,' I suggested. "'The writing on the wall was done with a man's forefinger dipped in blood. "'My glass allowed me to observe that the plaster was slightly scratched in doing it, "'which would not have been the case if the man's nail had been trimmed. "'I gathered up some scattered ash from the floor. "'It was dark in colour and flaky. "'Such an ash is only made by a trichinopoly. "'I have made a special study of cigar ashes. "'In fact,' I've written a monograph upon the subject. I flatter myself that I can distinguish at a glance the ash of any known brand, either of cigar or of tobacco. It is just in such details that the skilled detective differs from the Gregson and Lestrade type. "'And the florid face?' I asked. "'Ah, that was a more daring shot, though I have no doubt that I was right. You must not ask me that at the present state of the affair.' I passed my hand over my brow. "'My head is in a whirl,' I remarked. "'The more one thinks of it, the more mysterious it grows. How came these two men, 
if there were two men, into an empty house. What has become of the cabman who drove them? How could one man compel another to take poison? Where did the blood come from? What was the object of the murderer, since robbery had no part in it? How came the woman's ring there? Above all, why should the second man write up the German word Rache before decamping? I confess that I cannot see any possible way of reconciling all these facts. My companion smiled approvingly. "'You sum up the difficulties of the situation succinctly and well,' he said. "'There is much that is still obscure, though I have quite made up my mind on the main facts. As to Paul Lestrade's discovery, it was simply a blind intended to put the police upon a wrong track, by suggesting socialism and secret societies. It was not done by a German.' the a if you noticed was printed somewhat after the german fashion now a real german invariably prints in the latin character so that we may safely say that this was not written by one but by a clumsy imitator who overdid his part it was simply a ruse to divert inquiry into a wrong channel i'm not going to tell you much more of the case doctor you know a conjurer gets no credit when once he has explained his trick and if I show you too much of my method of working, you will come to the conclusion that I am a very ordinary individual, after all. "'I shall never do that,' I answered. "'You've brought detection as near an exact science as it ever will be brought in this world.' My companion flushed up with pleasure at my words, and the earnest way in which I uttered them. I had already observed that he was as sensitive to flattery on the score of his art as any girl could be of her beauty. "'I'll tell you one thing,' he said. "'Patent leathers and square toes came in the same cab, and they walked down the pathway together as friendly as possible, arm in arm in all probability. When they got inside they walked up and down the room, or rather patent leathers stood still while square toes walked up and down. I could read all that in the dust, and I could read that as he walked he grew more and more excited.' that is shown by the increased length of his strides he was talking all the while and working himself up no doubt into a fury then the tragedy occurred i've told you all i know myself now for the rest is mere surmise and conjecture we have a good working basis however on which to start we must hurry up for i want to go to halle's concert to hear norman neruda this afternoon this conversation had occurred while our cab had been threading its way through a long succession of dingy streets and dreary byways. In the dingiest and dreariest of them, our driver suddenly came to a stand. "'That's Audley Court in there,' he said, pointing to a narrow slit in the line of dead-coloured brick. "'You'll find me here when you come back.' Audley Court was not an attractive locality. The narrow passage led us into a quadrangle paved with flags and lined by sordid dwellings. We picked our way among groups of dirty children and through lines of discoloured linen until we came to number 46, the door of which was decorated with a small slip of brass on which the name Rance was engraved. On inquiry we found that the constable was in bed, and we were shown into a little front parlour to await his coming. He appeared presently looking a little irritable at being disturbed in his slumbers. "'I made my report at the office,' he said. Holmes took a half-sovereign from his pocket 
and played with it pensively we thought that we should like to hear it all from your own lips he said i shall be most happy to tell you anything i can the constable answered with his eyes upon the little golden disc just let us hear it all in your own way as it occurred rance sat down on the horsehair sofa and knitted his brows as though determined not to omit anything in his narrative i'll tell it ye from the beginning he said my time is from ten at night to six in the morning at eleven there was a fight at the white art but bar that all was quiet enough on the beat at one o'clock it began to rain and i met harry murcher him who has the holland grove beat and we stood together at the corner of henrietta street a-talking presently maybe about two or a little after i thought we'd take a look around and see that all was right down the brixton road it was precious dirty and lonely not a soul did i meet all the way down though a cab or two went past me i was a-strolling down thinking between ourselves how uncommon handy a four of gin hot would be when suddenly the glint of a light caught my eye in the window of that same house now i knew then that two houses in loriston gardens was empty on account of him that owns them who won't have the drain seed to though the very last tenant what lived in one of them died of typhoid fever i was knocked all in a heap therefore at seeing a light in the window and i suspected as something was wrong when i got to the door you stopped and then walked back to the garden gate my companion interrupted what did you do that for rance gave a violent jump and stared at sherlock holmes with the utmost amazement upon his features why that's true sir he said how come you to know it heaven only knows you see when i got up to the door it was so still and so lonesome that i thought i'd be none the worse for someone with me i ain't afeard of anything on this side of the grave but i thought that maybe it was him that died of the typhoid inspecting the drains what killed him the thought gave me a kind of turn and i walked back to the gate to see if i could see murcher's lantern but there wasn't no sign of him nor of anyone else there was no one in the street not a living soul sir nor as much as a dog then i pulled myself together and went back and pushed the door open all was quiet inside so i went into the room where the light was a-burning there was a candle flickering in the mantelpiece a red wax one and by its light i saw yes i know all that you saw you walked round the room several times and you knelt down by the body and then you walked through and tried the kitchen door and then john rand sprang to his feet with a frightened face and suspicion in his eyes where was you hid to see all that he cried it seems to me that you knows a deal more than you should holmes laughed and threw his card across the table to the constable don't get arresting me for the murder he said i am one of the hounds and not the wolf mr gregson or mr lestrade will answer for that go on though what did you do next rance resumed his seat without however losing his mystified expression i went back to the gate and sounded my whistle that brought murcher and two more to the spot was the street empty then well it was as far as anybody that could be of any good goes what do you mean the constable's features broadened into a grin i've seen many a drunk chap in my time 
he said. "'But never anyone so crying drunk as that cove. "'He was at the gate when I came out, "'a-leaning up agin the railings, "'and a-singing at the pitch of his lungs "'about Columbine's new-fangled banner, "'or some such stuff. "'He couldn't stand far less help.' "'What sort of man was he?' asked Sherlock Holmes. "'John Rance appeared to be somewhat irritated at this digression. "'He was an uncommon drunk sort of man,' he said. "'He'd have found himself in the station if we hadn't been so took up.' "'His face, his dress. Didn't you notice them?' Holmes broke in impatiently. "'I should think I did notice them, seeing that I had to prop him up, me and Murcher between us. "'He was a long chap with a red face, the lower part muffled round. "'That will do.' cried Holmes. What became of him? We'd enough to do without looking after him, the policeman said in an aggrieved voice. I'll wager he found his way home all right. How was he dressed? A brown overcoat. Had he a whip in his hand? A whip? No. He must have left it behind, muttered my companion. You didn't happen to see or hear a cab after that? No. "'There's a half-sovereign for you,' my companion said, standing up and taking his hat. "'I'm afraid, Rance, that you will never rise in the force. "'That head of yours should be for use as well as ornament. "'You might have gained your sergeant's stripes last night. "'The man whom you held in your hands is the man who holds the clue of this mystery "'and whom we are seeking. "'There is no use of arguing about it now. "'I'll tell you that it is so. Uh, "'Come along, doctor.' We started off for the cab together, leaving our informant incredulous, but obviously uncomfortable. "'The blundering fool,' Holmes said, bitterly, as we drove back to our lodgings. "'Just to think of his having such an incomparable bit of good luck and not taking advantage of it. "'I'm rather in the dark still. It's true that the description of this man tallies with your idea of the second party in this mystery. But why should he come back to the house after leaving it?' That is not the way of criminals. The ring, man, the ring. That was what he came back for. If we have no other way of catching him, we can always bait our line with the ring. I shall have him, doctor. I'll lay you two to one that I have him. I must thank you for it all. I might not have gone but for you, and so have missed the finest study I have ever come across. A study in scarlet, eh? Why shouldn't we use a little art jargon? There's the scarlet thread of murder running through the colourless skein of life, and our duty is to unravel it, and isolate it, and expose every inch of it. And now for lunch, and then for Norman Neruda. Her attack and her bowing are splendid. What's that little thing of Chopin she plays so magnificently? tra la 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 Leaning back in the cab, this amateur bloodhound carolled away like a lark, while I meditated upon the many-sidedness of the human mind. End of chapter 4 like the TV series Tales from the Crypt? Are you interested in full episode and movie reviews from Tales from the Crypt? This podcast is for you. 
the Good Evening Kitties podcast, where I, Melissa, your ghostess with the mostest, recap every episode with special guests and bonus horror movie reviews. The Good Evening Kitties podcast can be found on most podcast platforms. Check it out today. Thank you once again for listening to People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos. You can help show your support by going to the show notes and following any of the links that'll tell you how to support the show, how to support our guests, and thank you to all of our guests who you can find in the show notes. Rate, review, subscribe, and remember, patrons get priority access to asking us questions, suggesting topics, even, I don't know... Uh, submitting stuff. Actually, you don't have to be a patron to submit anything. That's how Dave got on the show, and that's how you can get on the show, too. It's the People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos. Rate, review, subscribe, tell your friends. Thank you for listening. Back to the show.